You're listening to a CUNY radio podcast of Newsmakers, a look at the people and places making headlines at the City University of New York. Welcome to Newsmakers. I'm Rick Firstman. In March of 1965, Stephen Summerstein was a physics major and a student photographer at City College when he traveled to Alabama with a busload of fellow students who were joining the historic March for Voting Rights from Selma to Montgomery. Summerstein returned days later with a trove of evocative and arresting images, but few were published until now. His most iconic shot of Martin Luther King Jr. photographed from behind as he spoke in front of the state capitol at the end of the march was recreated as the poster for the film Selma. From now until June 9th, dozens of Summerstein's Selma photographs can be seen in a special exhibit at the New York Historical Society. And he's here with us to talk about those five days in history 50 years ago. Welcome, Steve. And, and tell us first how it happened that a student from City College covered one of the most important events of the Civil Rights era. Right. I was editor of the evening uh, newspaper main events at City College. We had been aware of uh, the efforts in the South to do voter registration. We had people at the school who had been going down to the South, and we had heard about John Lewis's effort to march from Selma to Montgomery uh, the previous week and seen the images of him being beaten and then we heard from uh, our sources that uh, a, a march was being planned, a massive march uh, to go from Selma to Montgomery, and that uh, many students from the college would be going. And I quickly uh, had a meeting of my uh, editorial board, and we decided to at least send down two people, myself and one other reporter, uh, to cover uh, the march. We then met with uh, some of the groups at the college that were going down and uh, worked out logistics with them about where things, it had to be done within a very short amount of time because people were leaving virtually overnight to go down there. Uh, so the other gentleman who uh, I uh, had on the staff was Tom Kelly and he came with me and we uh, headed over immediately. I think I, I went home once to my mother to get some cash and uh, pack a sandwich and uh, off we went to the Port Authority bus terminal. Was there a lot of awareness of the Alabama March among the students up here at City College? Oh yes. It was uh, quite a, a, a significant thing. Uh, Many of the, both the black students groups and the, and the white students groups that have been involved in social issues and uh, were very turned up by this event and um, were interested quite a bit in uh, going down and presenting themselves, putting themselves on the line and uh, marching from Selma to Montgomery. We knew that there was legislation pending and uh, the march was partly not only to energize people in the country about the issues of civil rights and voting rights, but also 
to give those congressmen and senators a bit of direction uh, for the legislation that would be coming up before Congress for votes. And why was it important for you to be there and photograph it? Um, I knew it, it was a significant historic event. I myself had been down to the March on Washington, which was a march for jobs. And I knew the powerful visual impact of large numbers of people who were marching for a particular social issue. And it was with that in mind that I realized that this could be even more significant because it was a continuous march along roads and streets through uh, parts of Alabama. And I saw in my own mind the, the fact that these marchers coming in contact to the, with the public and, uh, and many, you know, uh, images visualized in my mind about potential uh, photographic opportunities uh, to characterize, you know, people's sense of urgency and sense of commitment. And I didn't know what I was going to see because I'd never been on a march before. Uh, and the March on Washington was just one big massive uh, uh, grouping before the uh, Lincoln Memorial, and uh, I knew that this was going to be quite different than that. Uh, we also anticipated the potential of danger at the same time. We knew about civil rights workers that, who had been murdered, but we assumed that we'd be much safer because we had great numbers of people and we wouldn't have uh, those issues coming up. So there, there had been two failed attempts uh, to, to mount this march, right? The police had stopped the march earlier? This, the, yes. This march was technically speaking the third uh, Selma march. The first one was John Lewis's attempt to march from Selma over the Edmund Pettus Bridge to Montgomery, and he was stopped at the Edmund Pettus Bridge by local sheriff and police, beaten, uh, clubbed, uh, dogs were set on, many of the marchers, fire hoses uh, were brought out, and we had seen all this. I mean, it, 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 remarkably enough, the news uh, media had covered all this, and uh, really shocked people that in this day and age that uh, things like that would occur. And uh, I think those events amalgamated people together. Uh, whatever their f thoughts on social issues were, they said these were the wrong attitudes for governments to take toward uh, legitimate expressions of free speech and uh, we had to place our bodies down there. Now, as a reporter, had to be apolitical, but I knew that in covering it, I was making a, a statement. So most of the students on the uh, City College paper in those days wanted to become professional newspaper people and did go on to careers, but you uh, became a physicist. I was an oddity. Everyone else on the paper and other people who had predated me on the newspaper had intended to go probably into journalism or publishing or something in the literature field. 
oddly enough, I was uh, a physics major. How I wound up on the newspaper was more or less my interest in photography. Uh, I was head of the photo society at, at City College at one point, and I started doing work with the newspaper. They had come to me and needed photographs, and I started working intimately. And as I worked with them, they, I, I gradually did more and more on the newspaper. So you decide to, to go to the march, and you get down to the Port Authority with all these other students uh, to get on the bus. What was that scene like? What was the mood? It was this enormous numbers of students were arriving all at once, coming in off the subways into the Port Authority terminal. Some of them were carrying shopping bags, bags. We didn't have backpacks in the old days. You know, we, we sort of rushed off to a home and picked up bags that uh, put in some food. And uh, some people had blankets because we knew we'd be camping out and uh, all, you know, uh, trooping over and then trying to figure out what buses were, were there for us and which ones were assigned to what schools. And um, this was all, all over the city. There were Columbia University, uh, oh, I remember them stretching, I, I can't tell you exact number, but I knew a dozen or so that I could see there of buses because they came, picked up the students, and then took off. So I can't say how many were there after we left uh, to pick up students. There were quite a number. We knew that there were, were certainly all of the city colleges Brooklyn College, Queens College, et cetera, uh, had student representatives there. We knew they were all coming in. Uh, my bus was mostly, I believe, from City College, but I'm quite sure there was mixtures <coughs> of other people at, uh, on other buses. You know, we met people in the uh, bus terminal, clearly from other colleges. We talked to them, so we knew that uh, this was all happening at once, coming in and focusing on the Port Authority bus terminal. And uh, uh, it was just a matter of waiting there till the buses arrived, and then we would be loaded onto the buses themselves, and, uh, and just we shuttled off, and it was just one after another. And what was the ride down like? Well, uh, initially everyone was sort of re relaxing on it. then. Uh, out came a couple of guitars, and people would be playing songs, and we'd be singing, you know, and uh, sort of uh, uh, We Shall Overcome, you know, various, and, and just general folk songs. And um, then people would sort of switch seats, you know, to introduce themselves to other people. So you get down there, and what was the scene? Well, as the daylight approaches, and we're driving through the outskirts. Uh, uh, people were out, uh, there were people out on the streets just looking at the buses going by as if they knew in advance that these were uh, uh, the marchers, uh, both blacks and whites, you know, saw the buses going by. And I, I had this feeling that they had heard in advance that the, uh, that the march was going to be occurring and these were probably the marchers that were going on. We were mostly in the, out the suburban and outskirts uh, of the um, 
the march. The march ran between Selma and Montgomery. Uh, the strip of land in between was the Jefferson Davis Highway, Route 80, 50, roughly 53 miles long. And they plopped us down somewhere after the beginning of the march, maybe a day later, you know, in a day. We came in overnight. So we probably got in roughly between a third and half uh, the way on the march. Uh, for us, it was probably closer to a three-day march. Um, and we would stop off at schools along the way. And um, we'd march for a while through the suburbs. Uh, I would be photographing some of the people stopping along the way. I, I thought it was rather interesting. They would start conversations with people on the side to tell them what the march was all about. And I would try to uh, take some interesting f shots. I'd run up to the front of the march to try to photograph. It kept changing each day or each hour, actually. Various different march leaders would appear in the front of the march. Uh, John Lewis would be one day, then uh, there might be some other people, other days. Um, and uh, I tried to look for symbolic uh, images that represented the, the symbolism of the march, the people. And I turned my camera quite often to the people watching the march. Uh, more than other photographers who photographed the march, uh, I felt that the people who were the observers to the march were even more important than the march itself because they were the people who would be most affected by the march. We were already from the North. We didn't have those problems of uh, civil rights of this kind, voting rights, up where we were. These people had the problems. Not only that, they'd be living with the effects of the march after we were gone. And what, for good or for ill, uh, they would have to bear the brunt of the results of, of the march itself. And uh, I felt that uh, I needed to record those people. You got a lot of pictures of people on porches. So what would, uh, what would draw your eye to certain shots? Composition. Uh, the arrangement of people uh, emotionally how they were responding to the march, but also uh, there, there was a certain kind of geometry where they fitted together, they supported each other. Uh, they gave a, a, a sense of coherence to their, their viewing of the march, their, their thoughts on the march. I was trying to capture that, but also the background, the buildings, the structures, all came into play. I would look at them all together as an integrated whole, how the picture assembled itself before my eye. And of course, I had to do this in fractions of a second. As I was marching along, I would see something and, and, and see the position of the people, the faces, uh, the construction of the building, uh, and, I, and I'd move back and forth. I'd have to decide which camera to use, which focal length lens. And uh, since I had to leave within a few hours of finding out about the march, uh, I could only gather together as much film as I could, took out of my refrigerator, dumped it into a, a pack, and uh, then, you know, uh, hoped that I had enough film. 
And I don't know, I must have had uh, 10 rolls of film, 12 rolls of film all together. And I had decided to be extremely parsimonious about my shooting. I said, make every shot count. You are not gonna do multiple shots if you can help it of any particular scene. Make the composition work for every shot. And this uh, discipline carried all the way through the days that I was there. I never knew whether I'd have enough film to finish the march. I was always thinking ahead, how many roles do I have left, you know? And since we had been warned by the, uh, uh, the feds that we shouldn't wander away from the march, I didn't find any opportunities that I could wander off the march and go to a, a camera store, find if such a thing existed down there, which I didn't know, to get any more film. So I said, you gotta do with what you got. You have a few shots of hecklers. Were there uh, many of them? Was, was there a lot of heckling? No. Interestingly enough, um, the hecklers were probably a one or two times that they existed on the march. Most of the people were very courteous and, but silent. The photographs I have of people along the highways, whether they be black or white, people just, they didn't cheer, they didn't make any noise. They just watched the march as it went by. It was like a, a moving diorama for them. And most people didn't respond. They were just watching it. So people came from all over the country and it was quite an interesting mix of people. You have this shot of Teamsters from Brooklyn, not what I expected a civil rights march. Yeah. These Teamsters, I, th I, I thought it was hilarious that uh, these uh, Teamster officials looked to me more or less like well-dressed bookkeepers, uh, came there in their wingtop shoes. I noticed, I looked down at their shoes, I said, you know, wingtip shoes and everything, wearing their suits, walking through the mud, and they were cheerful, and uh, here's our signs, and they were uh, very supportive. So uh, I was rather pleasantly amazed by um, how many people from both the unions and, and other parts of the community supported this. There's this great shot you have of this young boy who painted the word vote on his face. So what was the story behind that? He uh, had uh, been on the march for several days and he had painted the vote on there and he's probably one of the most photographed single individuals on the march because when I look at my compatriots in the photographic uh, world, Bruce Davidson and many of the other people who shot, uh, this young fellow showed up and he, uh, I spoke to him and he said he had come from work and decided he wanted to make a statement for voting rights. That's what the march was essentially about. Unfortunately, when he got back to work, he was fired from his job. But he is alive today, a successful grandfather and uh, did go on to uh, get other jobs and be successful in his future. So when you got down to uh, Montgomery or close to Montgomery, there were a lot of shots of performers and other notable people. Yes, uh, on the march, we had uh, Harry Belafonte, Joan Baez, Peter, Paul and Mary, 
many well-known folk singers and social activists in, in the music business. And they had performed at various stops along the way. As a matter of fact, at the city of St. Jude, uh, they had set up a complete stage platform. Overnight, they built it, and they performed the night before uh, uh, for the, uh, the marchers who were assembling there. And uh, then the next day, uh, we marched in to Montgomery, and they performed before and after Dr. King uh, spoke. So let's talk about the really iconic photo you got showing uh, Dr. King from behind during his speech in Montgomery, which the makers of the film Selma recreated for the movie poster. How did you get that shot? Well, it, it was rather interesting. I was in front of uh, Dr. King speaking. You know, I placed myself as close as possible to the front of the platform and I heard him speaking, and I started positioning myself. There was a sea of microphones in front of him. And uh, I started saying, oh, very nice tableau, and I took some photographs trying to position him correctly in front of the microphones, and I would move off to the side, and took some more photographs. And then I turned my, as I am as wont to do, I turned around, and I looked at the crowd. And I see this huge mass of 25,000 people, and I say, how can I get a photograph that can combine the sensibility of Dr. King speaking to the crowd? I can take pictures on the side, it sort of shows somewhat Dr. King and, and, and the people, but that's really not as strong. And all of a sudden, I, I was standing in front, and I looked, and I said, I know the shot I want. So I started moving myself gradually around. There was a whole sea of photographers and reporters in front, and I started working my way to the side of the platform, still taking shots as I would go along the way. Then I saw the steps, and I simply said, this is it. Walked up the steps, just continued walk, walked behind Dr. King. Dr. King is giving his speech. I prepared all my cameras in advance, and I proceeded to just try to position myself. I try to pre-visualize, by the way. Before I even walked up there, I tried to visualize which camera I wanted to use, et cetera, what focal length, but I knew I didn't know exactly which one was gonna work out perfectly, but I anticipated trying certain focal lengths first. And I got behind him, and I quickly focused first on him, and took a, a picture, then I quickly refocused to the crowd, took those pictures, took several shots along the way, then I'd switch cameras and try to get a wider angle at the distance, and I was only about three feet behind him, so <clears throat> I had to use a very wide angle lens to try to capture the crowd. If I had backed off too far, King would have become too small in the picture and that wouldn't have worked. I had to get the right ratio of Dr. King's head and, and back compared with the total image of the crowd behind him, and it was a matter of the ratio of those two. And I was quickly trying to figure that out with the different lenses that I had uh, to arrange that. And finally, I, I homed in on you know one of my 50 millimeter lenses, I think, 
and, and that's the one that I shot with, the, uh, several more shots. Then I quickly moved to the side. This is, by the way, I'm, I'm speaking longer than the pictures actually took to, to actually take them. Uh, probably I was up there no longer than maybe 30 seconds, uh, 45 seconds up there. You, I knew I couldn't be up there for very long behind that. And then I quickly moved to the side of Dr. King, and there's another photograph that I took of the crowd listening to Dr. King. And it, in and of itself is a very interesting photograph because when I looked at it, I realized how many people had averted their heads to listen to Dr. King. They'd put their hands over their eyes or they'd look down so they could hear him more clearly than if they were actually visualizing him. And it was a very telling how much people were concentrating on his words. And uh, I thought that that was quite remarkable. But while I was seeing that, I had to move on. You know, I, I was up there, took the shots, then quickly got off. So looking back, having documented such an historical event in such a powerful way, what did that mean to you back then? And, and what does it mean to you now, 50 years later? I knew I had captured a sense of the march itself. But initially, I had uh, thought I had done my duty by publishing in the college newspaper. And, and it was only afterwards that I realized, as I looked on the full extent of the, of the images, that I had captured a lot more than just the sensibility of the march, that I had captured many of the people and perhaps a sense of their hopes and dreams in the march itself. And it took me a lot of years to sort of get my um, uh, sense together of uh, wanting to concentrate on having an exhibition to take all the images, or as many as I could, and put them out into the public eye. Uh, I knew I had done some really, you know, promising work that I thought really spoke to what I had originally intended to do. And uh, unfortunately, I got very much involved in my physics during the intervening years, building satellites and working on things. And I kept saying to myself, as soon as you get some spare time, You've got to go back to those images and get them out. And it was only in the latter part of my career as a scientist that I realized I'd better get going. We're, we're, it's getting to be like 45 years have gone by, and it's time. And I started showing it to friends of mine who were professional photographers, who were very well-known people like Jim Marshall. And he almost hit me across the side of the head with a two-by-four when he saw them. And he says, what are you keeping this hidden away for? And uh, he quickly arranged for me to have an exhibition of my work in San Francisco. And uh, then I started working on the book, and things started moving at that point. Um, having taken the work, I, to be honest with you, I am surprised at how good I was at such a young age. And um, I'm rather 
uh, I have to say, pleased that I was able to kind of rise to the occasion uh, at that point and uh, to be so prescient with the images, although I must say, every time I look at an image, I kept thinking of the other image that I might have taken or other alternatives. Photographers are constantly doing these things. And you were just a student, really, just, just a kid among all these experienced professional photographers. And a case can be made, I think, that you did better stuff than any of them. I didn't have a lot of experience, you know, apart from college experience, of taking photographs. I mean, this was my first, you know, major effort to do a photo essay on a major historical event. And, uh, and covering it the way I did, uh, I am amazed that I came out with so many iconic images that, uh, but I must say, you know, it was easy. I mean, it was there. It was like, you know, all I had to do was, was you know, I, I hate to put it this way. It, it's not as simple as that, you know. I just looked and pointed, but it almost felt that way. You know, I kept looking around and I said, oh, there's a great image, you know, and, I, and I'd have to do all my adjustments, of course, and, but it was like the opportunities were there. It was, a, it was history in the making, and, and I just felt absolutely blossoming with opportunity. And, uh, you know, I became so thankful that I was there at that moment. For more Newsmakers, visit CUNY Radio online at cuny.edu slash radio. Newsmakers is a production of the Office of University Relations.